Well, good morning, everyone. So I want to welcome our whole chapel family today at uh, Lincoln Park Campus and Acoustic Service and online. Great to have you with us. Um, a week ago, uh, a week ago, we had a fantastic open house at the Montclair campus. Um, I don't know if you remember a week ago, but it was brutally cold that night. Uh, but we had about 250 people come out and just fill that place and just got a real feel for what a service at Montclair will be like. So really, really great time. And we are now five weeks away. I did want to mention to you guys this morning also, I said something I think two weeks ago in a sermon, <clears throat> excuse me, I invited some feedback um, to point out any ways that we're maybe inadvertently putting up barriers that make it more difficult for people to connect with God. And got some, got some really good feedback. I really appreciate some of the things that, that you all shared. And I wanted to let you know that we're actually implementing one of those changes today. So starting today, um, the communion bread that we use will be gluten-free at the chapel. <laughs> and I know for some of you, if this is not an issue for you, it might seem like a silly thing. Um, but if it is an issue for you, it's not a silly thing. It's a real thing. And believe it or not, just that small amount can affect someone. So uh, we're now the gluten-free communion church. Isn't that great? <laughs> so Jesus was all about removing barriers, and we want to remove barriers too. So we are taking a uh, gluten-free person over here, by the way. <laughs> we're taking the season of Lent uh, to focus on the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross, Jesus knew that his days were numbered, and so he carefully chose the things that he said and the things that he did during that week. So what we're doing during this season is paying attention to how Jesus spoke into and defined certain key life issues. Uh, and then we're kind of comparing that with the way that we look at those life issues, and we're trying to allow Jesus to change the way we think. Um, kind of align the way we look at these things with the way that he looks at things. Because some of the biggest problems we have in life and some of the deepest pain we have in life is because we have dysfunctional ways of viewing important things in life. So if we can align the way that, that we look at life with the way that Jesus does, we will thrive as human beings. So today, we're going to be looking at Jesus, the host, who changes the way that we look at belonging. What does it mean to belong to God or to belong to God's people? Um, does it mean that you can sign off on um, you know, the right doctrinal statement? Um, does it mean that you hold particular views on certain key issues like abortion or refugees or gay rights? Does it mean that you've been through uh, certain church rituals like baptism or, or confirmation? I mean, what does it mean to be, to be part of God's people? A uh, really important question. And the way that we answer that question will deeply affect the way that we look at ourselves and the way that we look at other people. So let's look at the passage today. We're, we're moving along in this week, getting toward the cross. So this is now Thursday of that last week. We're in Mark chapter 14, <clears throat> beginning in verse 12. And we're actually going to read all the way through verse 31. So Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for, for us there. 
The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. This is the word of God. So the, the central event in this passage is the Lord's Supper, uh, the Last Supper, when Jesus introduced the very first communion service. And so we're going to kind of root our outline around the, the communion that takes place here. Three things we're going to see. The background of communion, the need for communion, and the meaning of communion. All right, the background for it, why we need it, uh, and then what it really means. And by answering those questions... Um, we're going to find out what it truly means to belong to the people of God. So first, the background for communion. Um, Verse 12, it says that all of this took place on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. So this was the beginning of Passover week. Passover was one of the main Jewish holidays, and so it was one of those times that people from all over, not only Israel, but even from countries around Israel, Jewish people and people who were interested in the Jewish faith would stream into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover within the city of Jerusalem. Just listen to these numbers. Um, on a typical day in the first century, Jerusalem had about 500,000 people, about a half a million people living in Jerusalem. During Passover season, that number would blow up to over 2 million people. So this is, it's like the difference between Times Square on a regular day, Times Square on New Year's Eve. You know, all of a sudden, this place is just packed with people. So the question is, why was Passover such a big deal? Why did so many people come to celebrate it? Well, it's because back in the history of Israel, something had happened that they never wanted to forget. More than a 1,000 years earlier, the people of Israel had lived as slaves in the nation of Egypt. And that that position of being slaves in Egypt had lasted for about 400 years. Finally, through the leadership of Moses, God led his people to freedom. But the really unique thing, and the thing that God never wanted them to forget, was the way that God freed them. So if we're going to understand communion, we have to understand this. 
God spoke to his people back then who were living in Egypt, and he told them he was about to bring judgment on the Egyptians for the way that they had oppressed and mistreated God's people over all those years. And so God says, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send an angel of judgment into every home in Egypt, and the firstborn in every home is going to be struck down. Um, and, and the rationale was when the Egyptians experience that, they're going to be so awestruck and so terrified, God said, they're going to let you go. You're finally going to be free from the Egyptians. But here's the thing. Here's the catch. When the judgment of God comes, he doesn't distinguish based on ethnicity or race. So even the Hebrew people wouldn't be immune to God's judgment. So God says, I'm going to give you a way to survive this if you sacrifice a lamb and put some of the blood of that lamb on the doorpost, the doorframe of your house, the angel of judgment will pass over your home and you will be safe. Everybody following this? So in other words, the judgment's going to come. The only question is, will the judgment fall on you and your household or will it fall on this sacrifice that will be sacrificed in, in your place, this substitute? So sure enough, the judgment happened, this terrible plague, and the only people, the only homes that were left untouched were those homes that had put themselves under the protective cover of the Lamb's blood. So this became a turning point in the history of Israel. The people were freed from slavery, and God said, I never want you to forget that this happened. So every year at Passover, when you sacrifice the Passover Lamb, you'll be reminded. So fast forward more than a thousand years to the first century, it wasn't a question, Jesus, are we going to celebrate the Passover? The question was, where are we going to celebrate the Passover? And so Jesus gave them instructions to find this certain man who would show them this room. And verse 16 says, the disciples went into the city, they found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover, which means that the disciples of Jesus went out and they bought the unleavened bread, and they bought the wine and the bitter herbs and the lamb, and they set up that room for the celebration of Passover that evening. Can you imagine knowing that you're about to celebrate Passover uh, being led by Jesus himself? What an awesome thing that must have been. But when they got to the room that night, the atmosphere turned kind of dark quickly. And that leads to the second point, the need for communion. Verse 17 says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. They were reclining with the table, at the table, and Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me, one of you who is eating with me. And all of them you know, looked surprised. They said, you're not talking about me, are you? And Jesus didn't get any more specific, but he said, you know, it's one of the people who's dipping his bread into the bowl with me. So this ominous warning that Jesus gives that one of his disciples is going to go rogue, it's going to turn Jesus over to the authorities. We already know who this is, right? Because if, if you'd been reading along in the Gospel of Mark, you know that just before this, Judas went to the high priests and he made a deal with them. They, they were going to pay him a certain amount of money so that he would then turn Jesus over and, uh, and, and get Jesus arrested. Of course, Jesus knew who it was. Jesus knew it was Judas. None of the disciples, though, knew who he was talking about, except for, for Judas himself. So they're sitting there. Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. I think maybe he, made it, maybe he said that to make Judas squirm a little bit. Um, but I think the main reason Jesus said it was that he was just honestly, personally hurt that one of his good friends had turned his back on him. 
Here's the thing we have to see, though. Judas was not the only one at that table who was guilty. Um, and that's why we read the verses after they left the room. Did you notice what happened after, the, after the, the, the Last Supper? So we'll get back to that in a minute. But after the meal, it says they went out to the Mount of Olives. And in verse 27, Jesus looks at all of them and he says, you're all going to fall away. And Peter pushes back, right? Peter says, you know, even if everybody else falls away, Jesus, you can count on me. I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> then Jesus looks directly at Peter and says, I'm telling you, Peter, before this night's out, before the rooster crows, three times you're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter says, I am not. And everyone else says, no, we won't either. Now, we know from the Gospel of John that Judas had already slipped out of the room. Sometime during the meal, Judas slipped out. So this is now Jesus and the other 11 disciples. They take a walk after dinner. Jesus says, you know, every one of you is going to turn your back on me. They say, no, we're not. Um, you know what happened later when Jesus was arrested? What did the disciples do? Every one of them turned around and fled for their lives. And of course, Peter, who most loudly proclaimed his loyalty, ended up failing in spectacular fashion. Here's the point. On that night, in that room, when Jesus led the first communion service, he knew something about every person around that table, not just Judas. He knew that every person in that room, except for himself, was highly flawed, deeply imperfect. It's easy to pick on Judas. It's easy to single out Peter. But the sad fact is, that night, the disciples of Jesus went 0 for 12. That's why they needed communion. It's exactly why they needed communion. Remember what the background for communion is, right? It's Passover. And Passover commemorates the rescue of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. So here's the connection. Just like the Israelites needed to be rescued from slavery in Egypt, every disciple around that table that night needed to be rescued from this power that was enslaving them, and that power is called sin. Sin is the thing, it's the power that prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Sin is the power that prompted Peter to deny that he even knew Jesus when the pressure was on. Sin was the power that prompted the disciples to run for their lives instead of standing you know, loyally with Jesus when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sin is the power that makes you and me envious and angry and unforgiving and prideful and everything else that causes misery in our lives. Sin is a nasty, nasty slave master. And there's one thing that's powerful enough to break its hold on us, and that is the blood of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ. It's the one thing that can stand up to sin. And so every time we come to the communion table, it's a reminder of the fact that in our own selves, we are slaves to sin and we're desperate for the blood of Jesus Christ. It's our one hope. I said this message was about changing the way we view belonging, right? So what does it mean to belong to God's people? I think we can safely say Judas didn't belong, right? Even though he hung out with them, even though he was counted as one of the 12, Jesus didn't, uh, Judas didn't belong with them. The other 11 disciples did. Why? Was it because Judas's sin was so much different, so much worse than their sin? I don't think so. Judas's sin was bad, but no one in that room was guiltless. The difference was that Judas had never really entrusted himself to Jesus as his savior, as his Lord. He always kept Jesus at arm's length. The other disciples, they sinned also. They were guilty also. But the difference was they had a relationship with Jesus. 
They knew him, they knew how desperately they needed him. So listen, the practice of communion is for people who know that their sin is big, but the grace of Jesus is bigger. That's who communion is for. That's why we belong. And just a side note, when, when we're people who recognize that, that our sin is really big, and yet the grace of Jesus is even bigger, that changes us. We start to take ourselves less seriously because we know how imperfect we are. We can laugh at ourselves when we mess up instead of becoming so embarrassed. We become more patient with the imperfections of other people because we're so in tune with our own imperfections. We become slow to judge. We become much more compassionate. We become much more generous. Worship means a lot more to us. And the list goes on and on. That's actually another sermon. But here's the point for today. Every time we take communion, we are reminded that our sin is big, but the grace of Jesus is even bigger. That's why Jesus introduced it that night. That's why Jesus told us to keep on doing it until he comes back. So let's get a little more specific. Let's talk about the meaning of communion. What, what are we actually doing when we take communion? I believe that every time we receive communion, we should look in four different directions. Four different ways to look. First, we should look backwards. Look backwards. So Jesus took the bread and the wine, right? And he said, this is my body and this is my blood. And by the way, I realize the different branches of the Christian church have interpreted those words differently. When Jesus said, this is my body and my blood, there are Christians who believe that the body uh, or that the bread and the wine actually become uh, the body and the blood of Jesus. There are Christians who believe that the bread and the wine symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus. But either way, communion should always cause us to look back at the death of Christ. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching him in the Jordan River to be baptized? And and the first words John said were, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We read in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. So clearly, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. He's the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Now, some of you know this because maybe you come from a a more liturgical church background. There's a a special name that they sometimes give to, to the bread in communion. You know what, what word is the, the bread is called sometimes? The word the host. You know where that comes from? The Latin word hostia, H-O-S-T-I-A, which means a sacrificial victim. So that's, the, that's what the word host originally means. So in other words, even the name for the bread is a reminder that Jesus was judged as a sacrificial victim in our place so that we don't have to. So when we put ourselves under his protective blood, God's judgment passes over us. One of my favorite hymns, it's called Before the Throne of God Above, and one of the verses says this, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. If you struggle with guilt, Um, If you struggle with self-condemnation, if sometimes you come into church and you say, I don't deserve to be here, maybe if you're even tempted to say, you know, I'll pass on communion today because I haven't had such a good week. You know, I don't think I deserve to come to the communion table. Um, When you come to communion today, 
look back on what happened at the cross and recognize that the reason you belong is not because of the way that you performed, it's because of what he has done for you. So the main thing to do at communion is look back and look at the sacrifice that was done for you. Secondly, we need to look inward. Communion is a perfect time to examine your heart and ask God to reveal anything that needs to be confessed. Um, Psalm 139 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. So while you're waiting to partake of the bread and the cup, take time to look inward and just confess any sin that, that God brings to mind. Lord, I, I confess this, this attitude that I've had toward my wife this week, the things that I've said to her, um, or the way, that, the way that I talked about this kid in school and these things that I shouldn't have said. God, God, I'm confessing and agreeing with you that those are sin. Thank you that Jesus died for those sins. Lord, by the power of Christ in me, would you help me to turn from those sins and walk with you in those areas of my life? Communion is the perfect time to say, I'm forgiven because of the blood of Christ, but that doesn't mean that God wants me to just continue, continue sinning. It means that he wants that to change me. So communion is a time to kind of clean house, kind of make sure you have a clean heart, that there's fellowship between you and God. Confess any known sin. Thirdly, communion is a time to look forward. Um, after Jesus gave them the wine that night, he said, I'm not going to drink from the fruit of the vine again until... I drink it new with you again in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus actually, at the first communion, he promised that there's a day coming when he will gather again with his people and he will eat and he'll drink with us. In the book of Revelation, it says that this is going to be the ultimate wedding banquet when we are joined together with Jesus in the future. Have you been to a wedding recently? I was at one last weekend, and it was just this beautiful time, and there was eating and drinking and dancing mostly there was this atmosphere of joy and of warmth and of celebration. Um, it was just a, an, an incredible thing to be part of. And Jesus says, that's what you have to look forward to. So when you come to the communion table, when later today, when you come to the communion table, if you're stressed out, in li- if your life is anything but a party, um, because you know, you're dealing with a job that you hate, or every day you know, you're, you're patiently parenting a child with extreme special needs, or you're fighting through a really hard marriage, or money is really tight and you're, you're putting off doing your taxes because you just don't want to see how much you owe, whatever stress is in your life, would you allow communion to point you forward to the day when you will raise a glass with Jesus himself and it'll all be good? Let communion remind you that this ends really, really well. Look forward to what we have in store for us. And then finally, last thing, communion is a time to look outward. Outward. There's something that happened in the room that night that actually in Mark's gospel, it doesn't mention this, but in John it does. While they were sitting around that table, Jesus at some point got up and he picked up a a, a towel and a basin of water and one by one he started kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples. Now, that's something you did in that culture. Foot washing was a thing that was done. The thing was, it was always done by the lowest servant in the room, person with the lowest social standing. And so when Jesus started doing that, taking off his disciples' sandals and, you know, washing their feet, uh, they were kind of embarrassed by it. 
But Jesus insisted, and when he was done doing that, he said to them, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So what does that have to do with communion? I mean, did that just happen to take place at the same time in the same room? It has everything to do with communion. See, communion is all about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, saying, hey, the only reason I belong here is because of the fact that he sacrificed himself for me. And when we get that, we will begin to look for ways to sacrifice ourselves for others. That the sacrificial mindset is contagious. So the more we define ourselves, who we are, we're in this community because Jesus sacrificed himself for us, we will be people who make a habit of looking for ways to sacrifice our rights and our convenience for others by washing feet, by serving the poor, by visiting the sick, by giving up our rights for the good of others. None of us in this room deserve to be part of God's people because we're just like the disciples. Our sin is huge. The great news is the grace of Jesus Christ is even bigger than our sin. So when we come to the communion table, let's look backward to our Passover lamb. That's why this is able to happen. Let's look inward and confess, just clean our hearts before God. Let's look forward to that time that we will drink anew with him in his kingdom, and let's look outward and serve. So communion servers, would you please go back and prepare to serve us, and let's prepare our hearts to come to the table together.